Good morning. My name is Carol Beckman. The scripture reading today comes from the New Testament book of Luke. I will be reading from chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, back in 1989, a Philadelphia man was browsing a flea market, and he came upon a painting of a kind of a dark, drab, benign country scene, but he liked the frame on the painting. And so he purchased the painting for $4, and he intended to replace that painting of a dark, drab country landscape with a different painting and use the frame. And so as he was extracting the, that dark country landscape, the frame that he liked so much actually fell apart. And he found behind the country landscape, between the backing of the frame and the country landscape, there was a folded up piece of paper. And he unfolded that piece of paper and it turned out to be a declaration of independence. And it turned out when he got it appraised that this declaration of the independence was one of 24 surviving copies from this printing that was original. There was like 500 originally printed, and this was one of 24 surviving copies. And so he put the, the print up for auction two years later, and it fetched $2.42 million in a private auction. And so this man, this Philadelphia man, had found the extraordinary amidst the ordinary. He had found this extraordinary printing of the Declaration of Independence amidst the ordinary of a flea market. Similarly, a man in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, was browsing a thrift store. Music City Thrift is the name of the thrift store. He was browsing the thrift store, and he purchased for $2.64 a picture of the Declaration of Independence. His, man, his name was Michael Sparks. He purchased this printing for $2.64, and when he took it home, it looked older than he initially thought. And 
it turned out to be one of these original printings of the Declaration. You're going to have to pardon me a second. All my images are gone, and I rely on the images <laughs> to be able to see what's coming next. It's my notes. You all got to the bottom of my racket here. Um, hopefully this works. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Whew. If I didn't have my images, holy moly, I'm blind. So he, uh, he bought it for $2.64, takes it home, looks at it further, finds out that it's old looking, gets it appraised, turns out it is one of 200 that was printed and the commissioning of the printing was done by John Quincy Adams back in 1820. So another one of these original prints that he just found at a thrift store, puts it up for auction and fetches a huge sum of money. And so similarly, this man, Michael Sparks, had found the extraordinary amidst the ordinary of a thrift store. Back in 2014, this couple, Sean and Ricky McAvoy, were browsing a thrift store as well when a sweater, a West Point sweater, caught Sean's eye. Now, unbeknownst to Sean at the time, inside that sweater is sewn a white tag with the name Lombardi written on it. He did not know this at the time of purchase. A year later, Sean is watching the documentary of Lombardi, and he sees Lombardi wearing the West Point sweater, which jogs his memory. He goes back to the purchase that he made a year prior and looks and finds the tag sewn in there with the name Lombardi written on it, brings the sweater to athletic uniform experts. They confirm its authenticity that indeed this was Lombardi's sweater, puts it up for auction, fetches $43,000, or $43,20. That's how much he makes at the auction. This guy, Sean, himself amidst the ordinary of a thrift store. It's the mid-90s, and a pre-middle school Bill Verveldi becomes obsessed with coin returns. <laughs> Who knows what a coin return is in here? Because I bet there's some people that don't even know what a coin return is. Yeah, so you put your money in the machine, and then if you need change back, or if you didn't want to make your purchase, the coins that was your change would come back to you in the coin return. Or if you changed your mind and didn't want to make a purchase, you press the coin return, and you get your money back. So I became obsessed with these, and I would check them any chance I get. So pre-middle school, Bill Bravelli rides his bike to downtown Oostburg to Center Avenue, as he always does, heads to the phone booth off of Center Avenue, Reese knows about this, which is right off of the gas station, this floor, plunges his finger into the coin return, as he so often does, but this time his heart skips a beat as his digit is met by the sensation of many, many coins. Too many to count. He begins extracting the coins feverishly from the coin return. They keep coming. It's loaves and fishes out of that coin return. When he is done extracting all of the coins that are in that coin return, he adds it up and has almost $5 worth of quarters in the coin return. He excitedly positions his bike to the east and rides 50 yards up street to the variety store where his normal 10, 10 cent candy budget is completely blown out. And now, whereas a six cents total, everything is on the table, including the multi-flavored sleeved fun dip with two sticks. He excitedly makes the purchase and heads home with money to spare, ready to tell anyone who will listen his tale of finding the extraordinary 
amidst the ordinary of coin returns. All of these people had found the extraordinary <laughs> amidst the ordinary. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> oh. And I tell you this story of finding the extraordinary amidst the ordinary because this is what happens with our shepherds. They find the extraordinary amidst the ordinary because they are doing their ordinary job watching sheep at night. When that ordinary moment of watching sheep is completely interrupted by the extraordinary, as the sky explodes and an angel appears and says, tonight I bring you the best news that this world has ever heard. God has delivered his Messiah in the town of Bethlehem, and you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in an animal feeding trough. And then the sky explodes again, adding to the extraordinary nature of this moment, and a whole army of angels appears singing glory to God. He's come to this earth, glory to God in the highest. They say in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Glory because his glory has come. And in this moment, we remember the Old Testament grandiose temple where the glory of God resided and was made manifest and where God's glory resided and was made manifest. And now we have this incredible moment where the glory of God is being manifest on a farm in an animal feeding trough. The glory of God once was in this grandiose temple and now the glory of God is made manifest in this animal feeding trough. And the shepherds say to one another after the angels go back into the heaven, they say, let's investigate what these angels have said we got to check this out. And so they drop everything. They drop their work. They drop watching sheep. Who cares about the flock? Nothing is more important to us in this moment than seeing the baby Jesus. And they hurry off and find Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in a manger, just as the angel said. And when they saw it, they could not keep quiet. They opened their mouths and they spread the word. They said something about what had been told them about this baby Jesus. And they go out amazed. And here's where we get to the verse that we're going to dive into today, which is Luke 2, verse 20. It says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is the verse we're diving into today. And there are three phrases in this verse, and we'll take them each in turn. Number one, the shepherds went back to their flocks. Number two, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And number three, it was just as the angel had told them. Let's look at that first one. The shepherds went back to their flocks. These shepherds were called out of the ordinary to experience the extraordinary. And now they're returning back to their ordinary lives as shepherds. They had been called out of the ordinary. They had witnessed with their eyes the most extraordinary person this world has ever seen. And now they're returning to the ordinary life of watching flocks. Author Philip W. Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, I've mentioned this book before, but he talks about being a shepherd in the fields of Africa. This author was actually a shepherd in the fields of Africa. And he tells these stories about readying the grazing land in the spring for the sheep. And he said that his particular grazing land at this time had these beautiful flowers. They were white and they were purple. However, despite their beauty, these flowers were extremely poisonous to sheep. And he said the name, and I couldn't tell you, Pat could, but I don't know the name of these flowers. You could pronounce it for me. You could probably know what they are from the picture anyway. <laughs> yeah, this, I think this is the flower because I Googled the name and, and here it is. But anyway, we can talk, we can talk. Um, I really don't care. Maybe you do, you don't care either. Right? Yeah. 
But uh, there's these, these flowers are, are beautiful, but they're extremely poisonous to sheep. And he said that even a little nibble will cause the sheep to seize up and then like just succumb to death in a matter of minutes. And so as they prepared this grazing land in the, in the spring, he and his kids would crawl around on the ground and they would have to weed out these poisonous flowers. And he says, it is dull, boring, backbreaking work. And he would tell stories to his kids while they did this so that they could pass the time. But this is the kind of ordinary, backbreaking work that this guy knows as a shepherd. The shepherds now are returning to their ordinary lives of watching and caring for sheep and the backbreaking ordinary work of weeding out flowers, preparing the grazing land, making sure that no sheep escape. They had just experienced the extraordinary. They had laid eyes upon Jesus. And now they're returning to the ordinary of their lives as shepherds. You know, it's funny. Bryn, Morgan and I have a saying. Bryn looks like mom, acts like dad. Okay? And you know she's a mini Morgan. But we definitely have personality traits that we share. And here's one that we share. She and I both will get really amped up for something we're looking forward to. We almost take joy in the anticipation and the looking forward to something. And then we have fun on the thing, the extraordinary thing that we're looking forward to. And then when it's done, we have this come down period where we actually have to reckon with the reality that our lives are returning to the ordinary, that our lives are returning to normal, that the extraordinary thing that we've done is, is done. And now what does it mean to be back in ordinary life again? We've had to use Dr. Seuss on Bryn. He says, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it's happened. Your parents ever say something like that to you? We've definitely had to say this to to Bryn. So she and I share that where we know what it's like to reckon with coming off of something extraordinary to return to the ordinary and what that means in our lives. And if we look at our lives, I mean, most of our lives are ordinary, Right? There's only a small sliver of our lives that are extraordinary. Most of our lives are ordinary. And I can speak from experience as someone whose life is really ordinary right now, especially as a dad of young kids. Here's my day. This is my life. Okay? And I'm, I'm proud of it, but it is ordinary. I wake up. I bring Bryn to school. And we do have a peaceful drop-off, Sarah. Oh, yeah, she's over there. Like, I don't know what Bryn was saying. Like, kind of peaceful. Like, we hardly say a word. We just listen to music, you know. Bye-bye. Love you, girly. Off to school. So I drop her off at school, then I head to work for the day, and then when I'm done with the day, I'll return to my house, I will play with the kids while more, and if, you know, if the kids don't need bathing, then I'll play with them a little bit more, we'll open up our Lego advent calendar and build the thing for today, and then I put them to bed. And if we're lucky, if Morgan and I get our chores done in time, we get to watch a show together. And that's what I look forward to, right? My life is really ordinary right now, and I think a lot of us can understand the majority of our lives being this ordinary experience. And this is what the shepherds are returning to, having experienced and seen with their very eyes the extraordinary of the Messiah Jesus. Second phrase, they return to their ordinary lives, but all the while they are glorifying and praising God for all of what they had heard and seen. The shepherds are returning to their ordinary lives making much of the extraordinary fest in these extraordinary events of his Messiah lying in an animal feeding trough. This series is called Hear the Good News and Do Something. There's always a fill in the blank for every week. And this week it's Hear the Good News and Take It With You. 
And these shepherds are taking the good news that they had, and they, are ret- and they are returning to their ordinary lives, making much of the extraordinary God who engineered those extraordinary events that they took part in. All right, that's our response. This whole series is about looking at how the shepherds responded to the good news and how can we embody that response in our lives. And these shepherds are returning to their ordinary lives, making much of our extraordinary God. They're going back to their flocks, making much of these extraordinary experiences and extraordinary God who engineered those experiences. Now, here's what I suspect. I suspect it's really easy for us to make much of God when it's really easy to glorify and praise and make much of the extraordinary nature of who It was like four hours to make much of our extraordinary God. But it's hard, to, it's hard to make much of God when your boss has a memo about the TPS reports. Oh, good. I'm glad you got this reference. Figured JB would know this reference. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to make much of God when our experiences are ordinary, and that's most of our lives, folks. It's hard to make much of God when we're doing our day-to-day jobs. It's hard to make much of God when we're trying to care for our kids. It's hard to make much of God when we're trying to care for someone who's close to us whose health is not so great. It's hard for us to make much of God when we're just in the ordinary repetitions of our lives. This takes practice and it takes honing because it is a skill. And I think one of the indicators that you're doing this right, one of the indicators that you are indeed making much of God is when God will repeatedly appear on your mind in the ordinary of your day. When your mind is drawn to God, even despite the ordinary nature of your circumstances, when your mind will think of God despite sort of the ordinary mundane of our lives. A couple years ago, Morgan and I uh, took this, or we took this class, it was put on by my seminary, and it was free to students at the seminary, Northern Seminary at the time, and um, they had gotten a grant, and so they put on this class called Faith and Finances, and this is one of the best learning experiences that Morgan and I have ever shared, and it was this crash course, it was intensive, and so they had like, you'd get the first part Friday night, and then they put you up in a hotel at no cost to you, and then you'd get the second part on Saturday morning. And so it was led by this man by the name of Dr. Gary Hogue, and it was so phenomenal. I felt like I was hearing the gospel again, but it was a finance course. I had to remind myself, oh my goodness, this is a finance course, but I just feel like I'm falling in love with God all over again. It was amazing. But the temperature of the room was set to like 50 degrees, kind of like we had last week. And the, <laughs> you're, you're all like, yeah, I know that. Um, and the, but the thermostat, though, was like locked in one of those clear boxes and there was no custodian around to like change it and, or adjust it for us. So we're all sitting there in like our winter coats freezing. Thankfully, the course was so good that you hardly even thought about the cold. But um, we got back to our hotel and then the next morning we wake up, we go to the second half of the course and, and our professor, Dr. Hogue, says, he says, man, last night when I got to that hotel, I just turned the shower on hot and I jumped in there and I was just like warming up. And he says, and I was just in that shower and I was like, oh God, like you are so great. Like you're so great that I can sit here and have a warm shower right now and like warm up and that I get the opportunity to like teach and God, you are just amazing. And I'm going to myself, I'm like, here's a guy who is praising the Lord amidst something as mundane and ordinary as a shower. And yet his thoughts are being drawn upward and he's giving glory to the Lord. This guy knows about praising the Lord amidst the ordinary and giving glory to God in our ordinary lives. 
So the shepherds, having experienced the extraordinary, return to their ordinary lives, making much of our extraordinary God. Why ought we make much of our extraordinary God? Why does God demand our glory, demand our worship, demand our praise? Because it was just as the angels had told them. Because God is the one who is dispatching those angels to deliver the message, and he is the one who is engineering the reality that that message points toward. And when the shepherds look into that reality, into that message, it's just as the angels said. Because he's God, and he is the author of our reality. And so he is simultaneously in heaven, dispatching the angels, engineering history, authoring history, and also participating in that history as the baby, the Messiah in the manger. He is simultaneously calling the shots in heaven and also participating in the shots that he calls by entering into them as the Messiah. That's why he deserves our praise, because it was just as the angels had said. Yesterday, I kid you not, cannot wait to tell you this story. Yesterday, Colin starts talking about baby Jesus. I don't know why, all right? He just starts talking about him. Oh, baby Jesus, you know, baby Jesus. Like, yeah, Christmas, you know, baby Jesus. And he says, and I don't know why he asked this. It was God. That's the only thing I can say. God, for this story that I get to tell all of you. He asked this question, where is God? And I think he means in the manger scene, right? Because he's talking about baby Jesus. So I said, well, he's he is the baby Jesus. Like, he says, where's God? I said, well, he's the baby Jesus. And he, I said, and he goes, no, God's big, you know, you know, and I'm like, and I said, I said, well, yes, he's big. I said, but he's also the baby Jesus. Nah, God's big, you know, like he made up his mind. And I'm just like, I'm just going to leave it there. Like, that's pretty good. He's like, it's like, no, God's big, you know. But here's a two-year-old wrestling with this thing that we don't comprehend, but that God can be both calling the shots as the Father in heaven and engineering history and simultaneously participating in that history as the baby Jesus, as the Messiah who's been delivered to us. This is why he's worthy of our praise, because it was just as the angels had said, well, duh, he's in charge. He's God. Of course it's going to be just as the angels had said. I love this from the, I'll never get sick of this question and answer from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Why do people exist to glorify God, to make much of our extraordinary God, and in making much of our extraordinary God, we reach the purpose for why we've been created and we enjoy him. That is why we've been created. He is our God, he is the one who engineers history, and he deserves our praises. And our job as humans, why we've been created, is to make much of our extraordinary God, and as we make much of our extraordinary God, we enjoy him, and we find the reason why we exist. He is the one who sets the course of history, and at the same time alters it by sending Jesus and entering into it himself. This is why he deserves our praise and worship because it was just as the angels had said. One of the things that I love about the Christmas story is it shows us the type of God that we serve. And it shows us his character 
and how he likes to do stuff. It shows us his preferences. It shows us the things that are nearest and dearest to his heart. It shows us his MO. And his MO is to choose the least expected and the least deserving. He likes to do it completely differently than we would because he chooses teenage girl to be the Messiah's mom. And he chooses a town of Bethlehem that nobody cares about to be the birthplace of his Messiah. And he chooses shepherds, homeless social outcasts to be the first recipients about the good news that Jesus has come. He chooses, oh my goodness, he chooses manger scenes. That's never, this is actually a first that my phone has gone off in the middle of the service. Should I answer it? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Who is calling me? This has got to be tele. 1-800. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Block that sucker when this is all said and done. Block you. S- Satan is working overtime this morning, folks. We got to be doing something right up in here because... Yikes. Really? You're that? You're that? Like, you got to stoop to that level, the phone, during the search service? Okay, where was I? I was making a profound point. Oh, yeah, least likely. Least likely. He chooses shepherds who are the least deserving and most outcasty at the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, He chooses poor people. He chooses caves and animal feeding troughs. He chooses the least likely. Why does he choose the least likely? Well, Pastor John Piper says that he chooses the least likely because God wants to take away any ground for human boasting. He wants to take away any opportunity for humans to claim credit or make much of themselves because by choosing Bethlehem, nobody can say, he chose our great city. And by choosing Mary, this teenage girl, nobody can say, he chose our noble queen. And by choosing a manger, no no carpenter can say, I made that animal feeding trough. He chooses shepherds, so nobody can say, he chose the most deserving. He chooses all of these unlikely, unexpected people and things so that no human can boast and nobody can claim credit. Instead, God chose the things of this world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, shepherds, mangers, caves, teenage women, poor people. He chose things despised by the world, things that the world has no time of day for, things that the world counts as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result of this, now no human can boast in the presence of God because it's all God. It's everything that he does and nothing of what we do, and therefore our only recourse is, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast in the Lord because this is his work, not our work. He's the one who deserves all the credit. It was just as the angels had said. And this is why we exist to make much of our God who chooses the people and the things that we don't have the time of day for so that we can say, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.